Amen. Would you be seated this morning? Hope you're excited to be here this morning. We want to uh, bring to a conclusion a series that we have been in called All the World is a Stage. And as we think about that, I just want you to place yourself in the moment for where we are and the excitement and the enthusiasm of what God is doing here at EBC. It is just so incredibly um, humbling to me to be a part of what God is doing. And I'm not talking about a potential move, okay? It can be so easy for us to get our eyes off of really what the goal is and make it about a move. That's not what God has in store for us. It's about what God is in the midst of us and what He's doing right here. I just want to help you understand a little bit of the scope of this. Just a few months ago, as we began to go into Operation Christmas Child for this year, last year our goal was 400 boxes, and we exceeded that goal. And so this year, as as we were coming to this particular point, uh, I called Tara, and I said, Tara, you know, uh, so excited about Operation Christmas Child this year. And and, uh, she said this, she asked me this question, what do you think, Pastor Randy, should be our goal? Well, being the person that I am who always wants to win, I set our goal just slightly above last year and said, I think we ought to achieve this. Well, obviously, the number that I was giving Tara was not nearly as high as she wanted it to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, so she goes, well, I think that, you know, we could probably do this or do that. You know, I said, I tell you what, Tara, obviously, you have a number in your mind that you want us to do this year. Why don't you just tell me your number so we can stop the debate here? Because we all know we're going to do whatever number you come up with, right? I mean, if you, if you know Tara and if, or if you know a lady in, in anywhere, you, you know what I'm talking about. Can I get an amen from the man? There we go. All right. So I said, Tara, just what number do you want? She goes, well, I think we should start off with a number of 600. Well, that was way beyond what I was particularly thinking at the time. But, but here we stand today, seeing what God is doing and what He wants to do. I, just, I did the numbers just a little bit earlier this week. This represents likely EVC, $15,000 that goes from EVC out to the world this week. That is incredible. Give yourselves a hand for what God is doing. Amen? Now think about that. Yeah, that's a monetary deal, but I want you to think about what goes out when this happens. That a box is given to a child, but it's not just about that child, and it's not, or it's not just about what is in the box. It's about the gospel that goes that's in the box, but it's also about the relationship of which it's been given. I've been in the world, I've been at different places in the world where these boxes are given, and they're not given just from people that these children don't know. They're given from a relationship that establishes an understanding of what love and concern. You see, church, we are sent. And by the way, that is the next series that will begin in two weeks. It's just called Sent. As we go in to this Advent season, as we understand who we are as the church, we are the living box that goes out into the world that God has placed within us this this gospel this hope that he has within us and we go out into a world we go out to schools to neighborhoods all to these places to allow the hope of Jesus Christ to come out in us amen and that's what this is all about as we have talked about all the world is a stage that we would not live hypocritical lives That when people see us, they see the reality of who Jesus is. And that is no small little task. That is the beginning and the understanding of what transformation is that has begun with Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in Him. And it lives out as He wants us to be His representation, His incarnation that continues on this earth to be the light and hope for this world. Amen? 
That is who we are called to be. And if we have hypocritical lives, then that message is blurred and distorted. And I began to think about this as we thought, as we've seen Pastor Bart pick up this mask, and as he's had this mask on, he said it's very scary to many of us as we have seen it. And I began to ask myself the question: When Pastor Bart puts on this mask, why is it so scary to young children and to adult males in the room? When when Pastor Bart puts on this mask, and then it came to me this week. Well, it came to me this week that I began to understand. It's because we don't recognize Pastor Bart when he puts on this mask. And so I made an effort this morning to help you and to help the rest of us to recognize Pastor Bart. I went to Whataburger this morning. And as I picked this up, I picked up something that I know Pastor Bart loves. And that's a jalapeno cheddar biscuit, all right? So, so see, this mask is not as scary when it has a biscuit near its mouth, is it? Do you see who that is? You see, that's Pastor Bart, and when Pastor Bart gets a jalapeno cheddar biscuit, that's no longer Pastor Bart. This becomes Pastor Bart, all right? We all recognize Pastor Bart when he has a jalapeno cheddar biscuit. Now, if you really understand Pastor Bart, you will understand this, that the fact that I'm using an actual jalapeno cheddar biscuit from Whataburger kind of upsets him because that means that he doesn't get to eat this. But have no fear. I bought two and gave him one earlier this morning. Aren't you excited about that? We were talking about this and the whole idea with hypocrisy and the whole understanding of what we've been doing. And we love to give each other a hard time because we have that kind of relationship that we can do that. And see, the truth of what hypocrisy and what we really deal with is, it's this question. Do we have the kind of close relationships like that that we can speak into people's lives and they know what's going on? inside us here's the scary truth today for most christians the most hypocritical hour of their week is the hour they spend here in worship because the songs we just sang so many of you come in with heavy hearts and yet you sing right along with others and you sing these these songs of hope And of excitement of who Christ is and who he wants to be. And yet in many of our hearts, it's our most hypocritical hour. Because those things aren't true of us. And you see, if the world who needs to see the gospel presented to to allow us to be this living box of hope and love that goes out into this world, they need to see us with a true understanding of who Jesus Christ is in us. Amen? That's who they need to see. And I believe it only comes through this idea and through this understanding of our people close enough to our lives to know what goes on inside of us so that it makes a difference and it helps us to live a life that is a transformed life for Him. Because you see, I believe this with my whole heart today. The key antidote to a a hypocritical life is this one word, intimacy. Intimacy. Say that with me. Intimacy. You see, when we say that word, it means a lot of different things to a lot of us. We sometimes think that intimacy can only mean some sexual union or sexual relationship. And that's really not the understanding of what it is at all. It means this. It is into me see. Intimacy. That you see into me. Say that with me. Into 
me see. Do you have relationships of people who are close enough to you and I that when they look into our hearts, we've allowed them close enough, we've allowed them what I call the backstage passes to our life to know what's really going on. That when the curtain is peeled back from the Wizard of Oz of our lives, do they see who pulls the levers? Do they see what really goes on with us? Because here's the truth today, and and I'm saddened to say this. Many of us will go through this series on hypocrisy and we'll say it's really good for somebody else. But what it means for us is if we're going to change, it means we have to allow people to come in close to our lives. It's the only way that I know that people can overcome this issue of hypocrisy. It's the only way that I have ever seen in my own life that I overcome my own hypocritical ways is to allow people to come in close and for me to meet regularly with them in relationships that are close in order to do that. So we're going to make choices today. You're going to hear the truth of this and you're going to make a choice as to whether you want to move closer to those relationships or further away. Pastor Bart talked about a couple of things over these last couple of weeks. One of the things that he said was, the antidote to guilt is confession. The antidote to guilt is confession. When we think about this idea of confession, when we want to overcome guilt in our lives, the only way that we begin to overcome that is when we confess to others. But what kind of relationships do we have to have if we're going to confess to others? We're not talking about some Roman Catholic understanding that you go in and you shut the door and you're released or absolved from your sins because you share it with a priest. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sharing it with another brother or sister in Christ. And when we do that, there is a weight lifted off of us, not because the sin is no longer there or its effects are no longer there, but because the Bible has been clear that we are to give confession of our lives. Pastor Bart said something else. He said the antidote to shame is empathy. The antidote to shame is empathy. We just talked about and sung about shame, that we want to lay down these burdens and lay down our shame. And the antidote to shame is this idea of empathy, that we can walk with people and they can see things in our lives and they can say, you know what, I've been through that too. And in empathizing with us, it removes that that burden of shame. But it begs this question, Do we have the kind of relationships where people into me see the real things that are happening? And if we don't have those kind of relationships, I think we are destined to continually live out these hypocritical lives. You see, your hypocrisy and my hypocrisy will never change if we do not open ourselves up to true friendship and the inspection of God's word and the inspection of others. Who has those backstage passes to your life? Have you ever given them out? Yes, it's what our marriages are supposed to be. But I'm convinced that to grow spiritually, you need to have men, other men in your life who have these backstage passes. Women, you need to have other women in your life who have these backstage passes. If you're going to live a life that is open to transformation and God working in your life. And folks, this is nothing new. I love church history. And this is not a new idea. You see, on 1517, we celebrated just a few weeks ago, October the 31st. Most of us thought it was Halloween, but it was not. It was Reformation Day. 
And it was the 499th anniversary of, I think I did that. That was quick math, so, so don't hold me to that. I think that's about right. But in 1517, 498, I think. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm from Arkansas, all right? And I have shoes on, so don't hold me to my math skills, okay? The 498th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Door Church. And it began a reformation. And there was a contemporary of Martin Luther. His name was Jacob Arndt. Jacob wrote a, a book and began a movement called Pietism within the newly forming Reformed churches and the, what was called the Anabaptist movement. From Jacob Arndt, it went to a young protege of his named Philip Jacob Spiner. And Spiner wrote a book called Pia Desideria. And in Pia Desideria, he began to explain this opportunity where people were to get together and intake Scripture and exhale confession in doing this and in praying for one another and that they would meet in these small groups and begin to do this together. This is not a new idea. From Spiner, it went to his godson, who was one of my personal favorites, Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf, okay? Say Zinzendorf. No, no, don't do that. All right. Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. And Zinzendorf, his lands created a place of safety for a group called the Moravian Brethren. And the Moravian Brethren churches are even established here in the United States still to this day. But the Moravian Brethren were a key group of people who practiced what we're going to talk about today in accountable relationships. And as they practiced these accountable relationships, God began to do a missionary movement through the Moravian Brethren. And there was a young man from the United States who had gone to England to learn and to study. He was a Christian and he had been a preacher in the United States. And as he was on a boat back to the United States... He was so scared because of the storm that he was in, he began to cry out to God and realized that he did not have a saving faith and that he was going to go down in that ship. And he saw a group of people who had an incredible faith and they were in the corner and they were simply calmly praying. And he said, I don't know what you have, but you have something different than what I have. What is it that you have? And they described it to him. They were the Moravian brethren. And the young man who was in the ship was a man named John Wesley. John Wesley began the Methodist church. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do they call it a Methodist church? It was because of the method that Wesley learned from the Moravian brethren who learned it from Zinzendorf, who learned it from Spiner, who learned it from Arndt, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther. And what was this method? Wesley called it this. He said there are three meetings that we should have every week as the body of Christ. The first one is called the society meeting. It is the meeting and the gathering of the church. And here we are in our society meeting. He said the second is the class meeting. It should be a group of a mixed group of men and women from 5 to 12. And the class meeting at EVC we call life groups. And he said, but there's a third meeting that really should happen in our lives. And that meeting he called the band meeting. Yes, Martin Luther got the band back together. Or excuse me, John Wesley got the band back together. But he said this is a group of two or three people. Men with men, ladies with ladies. And he said in this group should be the process 
of this close backstage pass of our lives that we're going to talk about. It's accountable relationships. Now, folks, here's the truth, and I believe this to be true with all my heart. If we don't have these close, accountable relationships, we're likely doomed to a life of hypocrisy. And we won't grow spiritually beyond the level of accountability within our lives. That's the sad truth. Is salvation a thing of works? Absolutely not. It is an act of grace. But as that grace is lived out in our lives, I have discovered personally as I've walked in these relationships and have been out of them for a few years, and as we begin back in this process, and we want to to share this with you here at EBC as we begin to, to move back towards a process like this, as we do this together, what it means is you will grow spiritually because of the simple process that I just want to share with you today. But you'll make a choice today. Whether you want to continue and stay likely stagnant in your spiritual life. And the sad thing is this. It's just like riding a bicycle. If you're not moving forward, what are you doing? Unless you have incredible balance, you're probably falling down or going backwards. And you see, God's doing something here at EBC. And it doesn't allow or afford us the opportunity to move backwards. But to always move forward. You see, your family, our culture... Our very faith as we know it, as we've seen played out on the news, is in a battle. The enemy is not Islam. The enemy is Satan himself. And the victory will be won in a restaurant in Paris. And it will be won in the bedrooms and in the studies and in the quiet places of your home and my home. Because if we aren't walking with God on a daily basis, we will not move forward. You see, EVC is much more than getting to know the back of someone's head very well. It's about getting to know the heart and to be walking with people in this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's accountable relationships. So before I share with you this idea that we are implementing and that we're taking steps towards at EVC, I want to share you why we need accountable relationships. This is going to be quickly, and we're going to go through several passages. First of all, we need accountable relationships today because they they declare that we are not alone. Accountable relationships declare that we are not alone. There is an epidemic upon our society today, especially highly among men who are 45 to 59. And four times higher than any other age group, or, or certainly more than women, four times higher than women, the ages 45 to 59 for men is called suicide. I can point to deep, close friends in this room and point to my own life and how it's been touched by the scourge of suicide because it leaves the unanswered questions. But for adult males 45 to 59, it is one of the, the leading causes and it is the highest rate it's ever been for men of our age. Why is it? I'm convinced men feel alone. Adult men feel alone. Why? For most of us, we've we've lived for our families to provide for our families. And yet, in providing for our families, we've often ignored the family itself. And it's brought us to places of aloneness where we don't feel like anyone relates to where we're at today. And we've begun to question, especially at that particular age, what is all the work that I've done? What's it really worth? 
it brings us to a question of what we call significance. I had a deep friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, that three weeks ago sat in the study of my home and confessed to me after 25 years of marriage an affair that he had been through and how it had destroyed his marriage and how he remembered some of the things that we had talked about 15, 20 years ago and God put me on his mind and here he was right in this place of dealing with this very question that I'm sharing with you today. And it's not just adult males, although the epidemic is true that it's there. Maybe it's because that for, for those men, we, we tend to self-medicate with alcohol. Maybe it's because suicide is, is higher for that age group because we have more availability to guns than we've ever had before. Maybe it's because uh, we just don't know anybody to really talk to. And it's all about accountable relationships. But here's the truth of what is in Scripture today. You see, accountable relationships declare that, men, we are not alone. And that's the reason I'm committed to go after the hardest nuts to crack, which is those men, because as we know, as we go after those men and help them to see that they are not alone, we can see the total transformation of the family. Genesis 2, chapter 18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. See, from the very beginning of time, as Adam was naming all the animals, God said of one thing it was not good, and that it was not good for man to be alone. Now, that's not, this is not an issue about marriage or about relationships that there must be, you must be married in order to not feel alone. That's not what this is saying at all. If that were the case, then single people would feel that they are isolated and that they are, are not somehow complete. You, your spouse does not complete you. Trust me, okay? You are complete in and of yourself, of who you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You are complete. But God still said it is not good for man to be alone. You see, God in himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God is in himself a community. And we are made in his image, yet we must have one another if we are going to exhibit that same trait of his unity in community, common unity, thus community. If we're going to exhibit that trait then we must have relationships with one another. And it's not good for us to be alone. The main passage I want to share with you today, if you want to go back and study it, is Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 11. It says this, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If there's no one there to help you up, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The idea and the understanding is that if you're alone and you fall, there's no one there to help you. You were not designed to be alone. You were designed for accountable relationships. If two are together, they are warm. I know this because as Jennifer and I, that God has put us together, I have discovered that her feet do not receive blood flow. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are many times we might be laying in bed and I am asleep and the foot comes to my foot and I'm like, what is wrong with you, all right? You don't receive blood flow to your body. I can do this. I see this also as well on staff prayer. When we get together every morning, our staff gets together at 720 and, and we hold hands and pray. And inevitably, I am in between Bart and Karen. All right. I have Bart's hand on one side that is warm and I have 
a stinking ice cube on the other side in Karen Schwager's hand. Sometimes Karen, when she prays, she prays for a really long time just to get her hands warm. Do you understand? So when two are together, there is body heat that takes place in the understanding that we need each other. That is what God is saying in Ecclesiastes. We do not need to be alone. Think about what we've talked about even recently in the idea of what the enemy does. How does Satan himself pick us off? He waits to get us alone. In the safety of your home, in the darkness of your study, in the the quietness with your computer, he waits to get you alone. In the opportunity when you're at work and you're there and you've just gotten reamed out from your boss and you close your door and you say, why in the world do I do what I do? Because I feel so alone. You see, the enemy waits till you're alone. And he begins to pick us off one by one. But this is exactly why we need people around us. People who constantly remind us that we're not in this battle alone. It's where this antidote of empathy comes in when we realize when someone says you know what I've been through that too you're not the only one we need accountable relationships because they declare that we're not alone accountable relationships reveal our blind spots secondly today they reveal our blind spots I drive a Ford F-150 and the mirrors are big and I sit up high in that truck and I can virtually see anything. I feel like I'm on top of the world when I'm in my truck. And I get in Jennifer's car, which is much lower to the ground and the mirrors are much smaller. And there is a huge blind spot on the driver's side, on the left side, that I often don't look at the mirrors when I start to change lanes. And it brings incredible creative discussions when Jennifer and I are riding together in the car. Like, you're just like your father, all right? Things like that. Or, hey, Mario Andretti, why don't you look to your left a little bit before you take out that car that's there? You see, there's a blind spot when I drive her car because it's very different than mine. You see, a blind spot is a part of our character or an action that we cannot or choose not to see. Folks, we all have blind spots. One of my particular blind spots that I've shared before is competitiveness. It's the reason I no longer play basketball, especially with church members. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Because somebody's going to get hurt. And now that I'm 47, it's more likely to be me than anyone else. And I do realize that. But I'm very competitive when it comes to sporting events and different things. And so I just, quite honestly, had to quit playing. That was just a way. Many of you have asked me, why don't you come play? The kids have asked me, why don't you come play Ultimate Frisbee with us? I'm like, the ugly Randy comes out at that point. I don't think anybody really wants to see him come out at those times. I've told you and I've shared with especially men that are close to me that I've struggled with lust in my life. And I've shared that openly because I want them to know my weaknesses. Here's the truth, folks. I want people to know my weaknesses, not because I'm happy to share them, but because... I know that that is a potential opportunity for Satan to take me down. And by the way, it happens all the time. I can point you to different church leaders, people in my past, people that I've worked with that, got, that, that, that have been taken down because of their own weaknesses, because they didn't reveal their blind spots. 
We've actually been in some discussions with some of our other local churches. And I will tell you this. The churches, the evangelical churches in Saginaw are under attack right now. You need to pray for not just our church. You need to pray for all the pastors in this area. Why? God is doing something here. And he doesn't, the enemy doesn't like it. But you see, when we openly reveal our blind spots, it's an understanding that we have this opportunity for God to continually use us and for transformation, not to someplace stop in our lives, but for it to continue to move onward and upward to what He wants it to be. Psalm 36, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what it says. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, again, blind spots, they cannot see how wicked they really are. You know, some of you, you've been going, we've been going through this series, and you, and you say things like this. You know, I'm really glad that EVC is doing a series on hypocrisy. There are certainly people here at EVC that certainly need to hear this message, like you, okay? <laughs> there are others who would say, you know what? I really don't have a problem with gossip. I just love to share prayer requests. And I shared those prayer requests on Facebook the other day, and I got 112 likes. I need to share more of my prayer requests on Facebook. They have, they have inevitably gotten the word of God wrong where they say, I just love to speak truth. That's not the issue. The issue is I speak the truth in love. If you just love to speak truth and you say, well, it's not gossip. I'm just speaking the truth. Well, Satan can use that just like he can use any of the weaknesses that I've said about my own life. Maybe you're saying, who really needs to hear about hypocrisy? Could we not get on to that message series about Christ's return? That one sounds a whole lot better than this one. This one is a little bit too painful. Listen to this verse as it goes on. Verse 3 of Psalms 36. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or to do good. Listen to Matthew 7. We've talked about it already, but I want you to look at it from a different perspective. Verses 3 through 5 says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We often hear that passage, and we've talked about that passage in this series And we say, that keeps us from judging others. But I want you to flip it around. Do you understand that as a believer in Christ, you should be entering and always getting into relationships where you are encouraging others to look into your eyes and to help you see the specks that you, or the logs that you can't see? Do you understand that's what we're called to do as Christians? Yesterday, Jennifer and I, we had just eaten lunch, and we were going to Lowe's, which around this time of year in Christmas decoration season, we make many trips to Lowe's. Amen? Walmart, Target, you know, all the different places for the things that we have forgotten that we didn't or we couldn't find in our attic, all right? Amen? You know what I'm talking about, right? So we're on our trip to Lowe's. We've just eaten, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I have, I don't know whether I'm smiling or what, but I have some huge black speck in my teeth, okay? And I look to my lovely wife and I say, babe, why did you not tell me what's in my teeth? And she was like, well, I just didn't want to judge you. No! (laughs) 
I want someone, if you see something in my teeth, please tell me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to know what the issues that are going on because as I go to talk to someone in Lowe's, they go, you're obviously from Arkansas with that in your teeth, you know? Are you missing three or four or is that a piece of lettuce? I don't know what that is, right? We need people. We need relationships that people are close enough to have the backstage passes to our lives. But we can laugh about it and we can talk about it. But the question is this, do you have them? Do you have people who are that close to you in your life? Very quickly, the third thing is accountable relationships give us strength. They give us strength. Go back to Ecclesiastes 4. It says this, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two standing back to back can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, what this is saying is, look, two people together can stand back to back and defend themselves from the things that charge in at them. The culture, their own personal sin, their own personal struggles. And when three gather together, you're even stronger than just two. You see, there's strength in accountable relationships. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. What we never talk about is when iron is sharpening iron, do you know what that causes? It's called sparks and conflict. And sometimes we don't like to see what's in our lives. And these accountable relationships make us sharper. They make us prepared to do whatever God has in store for us to do. So we need accountable relationships to make us stronger. We need accountable relationships to see our blind spots. And we need accountable relationships to know that we are not alone. So I want to share with you this, very quickly this process. It's a very simple process. It's not, it's not uh, brain science. It is not rocket science. It is simply God's word in the lives of believers. And I want to ask you, if you do not have these kind of accountable relationships, you may be in a life group, and I am in a life group. I'm actually in two life groups. I have a men's group on Saturday morning, and as I gather together, there's typically 12 to 14 men. And those men know me pretty well. But I don't know that they know me as well as what I'm talking about today. Because there's, there's several of us, and we have lots of different things that we talk about. On Wednesday night, I have a life group that literally it is about 30 to 35 people. Uh, our life group on Wednesday night is actually larger than about 50% of the churches in America. But in, in that group, I love that group, and there's great things that happen in that group. And it's that large mainly because it's on the campus and people drop off kids, and it's a good, easy place to be. But unfortunately, somebody can be missing from that group, and I may not even recognize it for a couple of weeks because there's such a big group. It's not a place of this personal accountability that I'm talking about. So we're starting something that I've done previously and in the past, but, but it's called life transformation groups. It can be a subset of a life group that you're already doing. That'd be great. The other thing that it could be is an individual group that maybe you're not in a life group. We just got out of a prayer series where we tried to help connect as many of you as we possibly could. And some of you have begun to get connected that way, and that's phenomenal. But many of you still aren't connected. EVC is not a place where our desire is for you to get to know the back of someone's head that you sit together with in worship. 
That's a good thing. We're glad you're here and you're always welcome to be here. But that is not the end goal. The end goal is that you would be in life-changing, transformational relationships where you are always growing and others are always growing in their faith. And quite honestly, that is very difficult to happen right here in this place. But it happens as we meet together in accountable relationships. So let me quickly identify what life transformation groups are. First of all, very simply, there's three things that they involve. The first one is sin is confessed. Sin is confessed. Now, by confessing sin, what we talk about, this is the exhaling of this relationship. We exhale sin. We confess sin to one another. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other. Do we still believe that? It is true. It's in the Bible. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The Bible is very clear that we are to be confessing sins to one another. But that is not necessarily, that is not for a group this size. That is for when you have given the backstage passes of your life to someone else and they, and you confess this sin. It's what I call keeping a short list of the issues and things in your own life. Why? Because when you do that, you remove the burden of it and you have other people who can help you see what's going on in your life and what your own tend of weak or what your weaknesses tend to do in your own life now this needs to be what we call with confidentiality if it's not a confidential relationship remember that age group that i told you men 45 to 59 here's what i can tell you if it's not a confidential relationship men who are 45 to 59 are not going to share with you what really goes on in their life why because they don't know who you're going to tell and they don't know what's going to happen as a result of that of getting these things open and out in their lives. But there's incredible burden that is lifted off our shoulders, men and women, when we share with one another and we live this kind of accountable life with each other. But it's got to be with confidentiality. As I've led this before, I've had people who've come to me as their pastor and they say, I need to share with you something that happened in our uh, LTG or Life Transformation Group. I said, no, you don't. They said, but there's something that's going on in somebody's life. I said, Are they harming themselves? No. Are they going to harm someone else? No. Then you don't need to share it with me. You need to keep that confidential as you agreed to in this group. But it could be harmful for them. Then work it out with them. You see, we need to have confidentiality and we need to be able to have a place where we don't bleed among sharks, but we have a place of people that we trust where we can confess sin and keep a short list. First John 1 9 says, but if we confess our sins to, to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So we exhale, we confess sin to one another. The second thing we do is we plant scripture together with each other. Scripture is planted. This is what we call inhaling. Now, here's what we tend to do well in the church today. We inhale scripture, but you know what? If you don't exhale first, confession you can't inhale everything that you need to take in and the church today is often a place where we inhale so much that we get what's called puffed up and it's called spiritual pride we just all we do is inhale but we don't exhale so inhaling is taking in God's word Hebrews 4 verse 2 is that says this for the word of God is alive and powerful It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And listen to this. 
It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's what God's Word does. So how does that work in a life transformation group? Well, we take in God's Word in what I call uh, small enough chunks, but multiple times. The goal in one of these groups is that you would take in on a weekly basis as you're meeting with your group of people, that you would take in between 20 and 25 chapters of Scripture each week. And you're going, wait a second, that's a huge amount. Well, your group gets to decide what that is. But I encourage groups to take small amounts like Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is six chapters, all right? And I encourage if a, if a LTG or Life Transformation Group was going to do Ephesians, I would encourage them to read it through that week four times. So that would be 24 chapters. It's six chapters. Read it through four times. Why? Because you're taking in God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak in you and to inhale these things into your life to get to the innermost thoughts that you and I have. Listen to what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to do what? To teach us what is true. To make us realize what's wrong in our lives. We need to line up God's Word with our life so that we understand what's right and what's wrong in our lives. But not only does it stop there, it helps us to correct us when we are wrong and to teach us to do what's right. You see, God's Word is that inhaling of what He desires to do in our life. Now, how, here's how it works in an LTG as we do that together. Let's say that there's three of us that are meeting, and I've already asked two men to join me in this process of my life because I think this is the key way to do personal discipleship and to also have personal accountability with others. So as we get together as these two men, if, if we were to read Ephesians this week, let's say two of us got through Ephesians four times, but one of us only got through it three times. And we got back together, and we asked one of the questions that we asked each other is this. Did you complete the reading this week? If one of us says no, guess what we do? We read what we had planned to read again. Why? It's the Holy Spirit meeting with us. That there's obviously something that our group needs to pick up that we didn't pick up with week one. And guess what? By week two, pretty much everybody has gotten through it four times because we read it again. So we are taking in God's word on a regular basis. Scripture is planted. And the final thing, very simply, people are specifically prayed for. It's a place not only for prayer, but for multiplication to take place. You see, this is not a group that just stays together, stays together forever for the rest of our lives. Instead, each of us are praying for somebody specifically, another man in my case, for another man to join us in our group. And when there are four of us, consistently we go and we multiply into two groups of two and we continue to pray for more to join the process and this process continues to grow and grow it is a process that grows with us and folks that's what i'm telling you this has been the process of the church since the 1600s have we lost it i don't know we've gotten busy we've exchanged a weekly sermon for what God wants, really wants to do in our life. We've exchanged casual relationships for really accountable relationships. And if we want to see growth, not just happen numerically, that's good. But if we want growth to take place and transformation in our lives, we need this kind of accountability. Second Timothy 2.2 is probably my 
favorite passage of Scripture because it's been really the purpose statement of my life. It's from Paul to Timothy, and it says this. You've heard, from me, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, Timothy, you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I heard that passage when I was a teenager. And I said, I can live out that passage as a teenager. There's nothing that would stop two teenage young men or two teenage young women from doing a life transformation together, grouped together, and for this to be the pattern of their entire lives. Because it's the same pattern that Paul told Timothy. Paul said, Timothy, these things which I've, you've heard from me, I've entrusted to you. Now you, Timothy, entrust them to reliable men who will be able to teach others also. There's four generations from Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men who will teach others also. And do you know what you and I are? We are the continuation of that pattern that began with Jesus Christ to Paul. Paul to Timothy. Timothy to faithful men. And faithful men eventually down through the centuries to Jacob Arndt, to Philip Spiner, to Ludwig von Zinzendorf, to the Moravian Brethren, to John Wesley, and on and on and on until it reached us. In the United States that we live in, we are one generation away from it all being over. We're at war. We're not at war with Islam. We're at war with Satan himself who desires to take you and I down in the quietness of our homes if we do not move back towards accountable relationships. Would you take out that card that's in your bulletin? I'm going to ask you just to do this. Don't look at anyone else. Don't look up at me. Look down at that card for just a second. As you look at that card, (coughs) folks, you're going to make a decision today. That decision is going to be, do you want to live with accountable relationships or not? And it doesn't have to be here at EVC. Obviously, on this card, this says this. Do you want to have someone, do you have someone in in mind that you would like to ask to be a partner in a life transformation group? Yes or no? If you don't, we want to help you. If you do, then great. Ask them, take off, and and let us help you along the way. December the 5th is a Saturday in two weeks. So on December the 5th, we're going to gather here at 10 a.m., and I'm going to go through this a little bit more thoroughly. Folks, this is the simple process. It is confessing sin. It is having, taking in Scripture together, and it's praying. Okay, It's a very simple process, but we want to help you in this process. Now, you may go, if I enter this with somebody and we're reading Scripture, and I don't, if they ask me something that I don't know, that is the biggest question that people have. What if they ask me something that I don't know? You know what? I get asked things from my daughters all the time that I don't know the answer to. But I typically will say, well, let's find it out. Let me get back to you on that. But here's what we commit as your pastors. We're going to be here for you. So you get into these relationships and questions come up. Be honest. I don't know the answer to that. Can we study that together? Can we get help from somebody outside? And that's what we're here for, to walk with you in this. But this is a process that literally is transformational that we want to introduce here at EVC. As you look at that card, you're going to make a choice today, whether you want this or whether you don't. 
Now, the sad truth is this. If you don't want it, the likelihood of you continuing to grow spiritually is about what it was when you walked in here today. Now, if you do want that, you can either fill this out, you can make this decision on your own, you can go home, you can fill it out, bring it back later. We just want to be available to you. So as you look at that card, you're going to make a choice today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth that you have for us, that we need other people to walk with in this life. So, Father, would you just guide us in that relationship today? Would you enable us to live in you and through you? And, Father, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would hover in on us today, that this would not just be something we walk away from and continue to to revel in our hypocrisy. May you change us today, Lord, as we take steps forward in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.